Hello, everybody, and welcome to another Cyber Tuesday podcast. Um, I'm here today joined by uh, Juan Flores. Uh, we're going to talk about some software engineering for testing that we've been doing here. Um, Juan, uh, welcome to the podcast. And uh, can you introduce yourself to our audience and tell us a bit about yourself? So my name is Juan, Planet's Director of Software Engineering. Yeah, I've been planet for 13 years now, or almost 13 years. And I've done, I, I think, um, multiple types of roles at Planet. So performance tester, automation, um, service virtualization. And before I was at Planet, I was a software engineer back in my home country in Colombia for a few years before I moved to Australia. So yeah, it's been quite an interesting journey. Okay, great. Um, yeah, fantastic to have you on the podcast today. Um, and I'd like to dive into uh, straight into the nitty gritty with this. So software engineering, I mean, we're testers, uh, we do testing, we do test automation, we do all kinds of uh, things where we actually generate code. So. This is your key domain, right? You write the frameworks and the tools that the people are using uh, and make sure that everything's okay. Um, so what, what is your current focus um, uh, when it comes down to, to, to this type of work? I spent the last couple of years, not, not only me, but um, a few collaborators within Planet. We spent the last couple of years creating templates and examples of a software engineering approach to creating automation solutions. So the first few of those are towards web UI automation. So um, we want to have examples on how to apply uh, object-oriented design principles, software engineering principles, to automation solutions uh, and code uh, in different technologies. So we have Selenium for Java, C-sharp, Python, uh, Kotlin, um, and then we have things like Playwright using TypeScript, we have Cypress, we have WebDriver.io using TypeScript, and all of those make up that collection of, of templates. And then each of those, they, they have multiple examples at different levels. So we have object-oriented modeling examples. We have um, software configuration examples. How do we deal with configuration, especially in a CI/CD ready way? How do we deal with test data? How do we deal with secrets? Uh, so that's, that's been my focus for, for, for a while now. Okay, cool. Uh, so, so <clears throat> what are the key, key gripes that you're usually dealing with or what you see right now? I mean, the market is moving in a certain direction with the digital transformation. Uh, you see a, a strong move to the cloud. Uh, how does it impact testers and, um, what is your main concern around that? So there's two things that concern me. The first one is uh, the fact that 
more and more in new projects, um, our clients uh, and other projects members expect the testers to be able to code at the same level or that that uh, the developers code uh, because we are creating code that is going to validate the code of the developers. So our code has to be spot on. We cannot hack our way through creating a test. Um, and, and the second thing is, well, that's, that's on the side of developing the actual code that is going to exercise the application. So it's going to be web UI code, it's going to be mobile uh, UI code, it's going to be uh, API tests, it's going to be database, it's going to be data transformation, and how do we code that? But the other thing is everything that's around it. So how do we how do we make sure that we are dealing with secrets in the right way? So uh, most of the time we have to provide usernames and passwords and API keys and database passwords and different things. So how do we deal with, with that securely? Where do we read it from? Where do we store it? Uh, and then what happens when when we move from developing our code in our own machines to running the code somewhere in the cloud in a CI/CD agent that we have no control yeah. over? Um, traditionally, um, in the industry, testers were used to building the code in their own machine and then running the code uh, ad hoc in the same machine. Yeah. So one of the struggles of, over the last few years has been to get people to understand that when you code, you're not coding to run things on your local machine. You need to code to run them where the CI CD is run. So that can yeah. be a different server, can be a Docker container, can be a cloud agent. Um, so that's, that's a big concern. Uh, we need to code in a multi-platform, multi-cloud way of doing things. So how do you experience it when you, uh, when you talk to testers about this and you say you actually need to become a developer more? We've got the SDAT program, right? Yes. So that, that fits in there as well. Yeah. So the, the SDAT program at Planet has been really successful. Uh, what we have done is we have reached out to newly grads uh, or people that have just started in the industry as developers. And we reach out to them and we take them in to utilize their development skills, their coding skills in a slightly different way. So we can apply them to, to automation, to performance. Uh, because what we have seen uh, over the past few years is that it's a lot easier to teach a developer how to do the testing side of things rather than a tester to learn developing development. Um, yeah, yeah. Development takes a lot of a lot of efforts and a few years to to hone your skills. Yeah, I totally totally see that uh, as well on the on the penetration testing side and the cybersecurity side. Um, the best penetration tester that I find 
usually has a history of either software development or engineering. Uh, yes. And that gives them the foundation to understand how stuff runs and how you could actually interrogate it. Um, our team does it for, for the security part. And with the assets, of course, they'll do it from the development part. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's very interesting how this is all moving. Um, when, when you look at, at uh, so you already um, alluded a bit to that in the past, the, the old ways of testing was you run it on your own machine, you're integrating a machine or, or sorry, an application yeah. um, that's on-prem is running on a single server. Um, and now you see with, with the yeah. move to the yeah. cloud that everything yeah. gets distributed. Yeah. Uh, what kind of challenges are you facing in that space? Well, the first challenge is... Does it make it different? Yes. So what yeah. the, the first challenge is uh, installing the, requires, the requirements to run an automated yeah. test. So there are certain types of, of tests that are going to be easier to run in the cloud, like API tests. All you require really mm -hmm. is the uh, the compiler and the execution environment for your test. So if you build your test yeah. in a JavaScript or TypeScript, you probably require a Node.js server or not access to Node.js. If you build it in Java, you require a Java compiler and the JVM. Mm -hmm. Same thing for C Sharp, you require a .NET or Python, etc. But yeah. then the the next step is when you have end-to-end um, -end type tests that involve uh, web UIs. Yeah. Um, everyone in their own desktops, in their own PCs, they have one or more browsers installed. Uh, you can probably download easily the the drivers to connect your code to the browser, uh, but. More than that, modern libraries like latest versions of Selenium and then Cypress and Playwright and WebDriver.io, they all download the driver automatically for you when the code runs. So yeah, we don't even have to think about that. But everyone has a browser installed. When you think yeah. about moving to the <laughs> cloud and running in an agent, uh, there's no guarantee that there's going to be a browser there. And sometimes the yeah. agent is a headless Linux agent where there's not even um, a graphical interface system installed. There's no X server or Wayland or anything like that installed. Yeah. So one of the key things there is to learn how to leverage Docker to provide your own containerized development environment and testing environment so that a Docker container can spin up in a headless way, a browser for you as a, or as a browsers. Yeah. That's like the, the first approach. The second approach is let's use a Selenium grid. If you're using Selenium, if you're using Cypress or Playwright, those solutions, they have, uh, they have commands that allow you to install the necessary requirements. So install the browsers, install the execution environment. So th let's call that a medium difficulty problem. We know how to solve it. It's easily solved uh, if 
if you have access to things like Docker, or if you can run certain things, certain commands in the agent. The hard problem going up a notch is mobile testing. Because oh, okay. yeah. you cannot hmm. really run easily an emulator on a headless device. And usually for mobile testing, um, clients will want to run on real devices. So that will require a different solution. That, that will require a third-party uh, device farm. So with third-party device farms, they provide you an API that you can call and you can, yeah. uh, they can provide you with instances of different types of mobile devices. So you, you can ask for uh, Pixel 5, you can ask for an iPhone 14, and you can ask for different versions yeah. of the operating systems of those. Uh, yeah. And and that's that becomes really complicated and expensive. It's, it is yeah. not cheap to use those device farms. So and and that's so, so, all those challenges without ever thinking about code, right? We we haven't even mentioned yeah. the code once. Yeah, yes. so you need the code to tie everything together, uh, yes. to run through all the the, the user stories, the whole end to end flows, uh, a bit like how performance testing is approaching it. I think they'll 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 be challenged with with that as well as well as yeah. Um, uh, functional testing has and, and test automators have. Exactly. Uh, so, uh, so everybody well, needs to start to glue it together with code. Yeah, exactly. And what one of the things that we have started for a while now to shy away from is having these massive long tests that do everything all at once. Uh, yeah. So here, that's another challenge sort of that is slowly changing in the industry. Automation tests used to be this super long script that actually replicates a manual test. And then yeah. as the script goes through, it starts doing different assertions, different validations at different points. So you have a test that can run for 30 minutes. And that is not really something that is feasible in when when you're talking about plugging in automation into an into a CI/CD pipeline, when you want yeah. feedback as fast as possible, you don't want the developer sitting there for thirty minutes waiting for one test to finish. Yeah. So what we what we tend to do now is we design smaller tests that target one thing and one thing only. So the, the, they have to be really small. And then we run them in parallel. So we take advantage of as many CPUs as we can get from the agent that we're running on. And then we fire yep. as many tests in parallel as possible. And that really reduces the, the time we have to wait to get feedback from an automated test. Yeah. Uh, which it also, it also means that we need to start moving tests from the, uh, the top of the testing pyramid. The top of the testing pyramid is got to be those long UI integration tests. We move them to the next mm -hmm. level, which is the integration layer. So we need a lot of tests in the integration layer 
so that we reduce the number of uh, UI tests at the top. And going down that pyramid, we need even more unit tests. Yeah. Almost every function, every method that a developer writes should have a unit test. Because that yeah, this is where the true value comes. Sorry? And so this is where the true value comes. Yeah. Um, the, the, the least amount of value is at the top of the pyramid where you do the end-to-end. -end. Yeah. The most amount of, of value for test automation and for uh, for, for fully automated test scripts is really only at unit test level. Yes. And then the system integration test level on top of that um, exactly. secondary to that. And, yeah. and those are the ones that uh, execute the fastest. Yeah. Uh, like in a few seconds, you can execute hundreds and hundreds of unit tests. Yeah. And then, those, those are the really small components that are living in there. Yeah. yeah. And then... Uh, as long as you understand the coverage of those unit tests, then whatever is left, you put in the next layer, the integration test layer. And that, again, is a really fast layer to test. And then yep. whatever is left, you put in the at the top, the UI layer, the end-to-end -end layer, yep. which is very expensive in terms of time, in terms of yep. effort to maintain, and actually, in terms of the cost to run it, if you're running, for example, mobile tests, it's going to be expensive yeah. to just provision the infrastructure to run it. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you want to focus at the lower, the lower level as, as much as possible. So it, it, let's say you've got a developer, builds a new um, um, unit, a, a new component, in the system, new function, whatever it is. Uh, but you also need to automatically have the testing ready next to it. How, how do you deal with that? Uh, because you have to develop tests as fast as a developer yep. can actually build the code as well. So actually you need to start building your, your test scripts before you can build the code. So oh, the way I have approached it is you you build the test definition first. So you're, you don't want to build the actual code inside the test, but you yeah. at the very least have a test definition. So it's going to tell yeah. you what the the function that you're testing does and what are the inputs and what's the expected output. So we have a design. We don't have the code yet because the developer will need to have that same information before they start writing the function. They need the requirement of the function. So with their requirement, yeah. we write the outline of the test. Um, yeah. Then as the developer develops its function, it's a little bit of code, there's nothing much we can do until the, the developer has finished. But in the meantime, because we have the definition and we know the expected output, we can actually uh, mock some some things. We can actually uh, we know what the expected return value is, and then we can we can write some some tests around it. So we can write a happy path test. We can write some edge cases, and once the developer is ready, then we plug it in together. We call the function and we run our test. Uh, and that, that speeds up both our test and the developer as well. For the, 
from the developer's point of view, that initial process might seem really slow because they're have mm -hmm. to, having to think about testing their code before they write the code. But it's going to, in the long run, it's going to make it more efficient because the next time they have to change that function because a bug came out or a changing re requirement came up, they already have a test. They already have a test that can actually validate that the changes are not breaking anything, anything else in the application because yeah. you have the interface well-defined and all that stuff. That's super interesting um, because those interfaces, they also, um, I'm, I'm thinking now in APIs, for example, yep. and external dependencies that you might have with applications nowadays, everything's being mixed together, gluing the code together. It's from the development side, from the testing side. Yep. How do you keep all that stuff up to date? Because as a security guy, I like to see that we don't have vulnerabilities, of course, in, in the product, but also yep. in the test suite that sits next to it. Well, there's one thing is we cannot test what we cannot control. Eh. So if we have a third-party dependency, let's say we have uh, we have an application that needs to validate whether a credit card has money in it, right? To be able to process a transaction. So we're probably going to need to use a, an API to a bank or directly to Visa or MasterCard. We cannot test those. They probably will will give us a test environment that we can test against. But if we find defects in their environment, there's not much we can do. What we can no. do actually is for those third parties, they publish their APIs designs. So we know how to call the API, the data types that we can send, the data types that they return, and the behavior of the API, so we can mock it. And for mocking, we have two options. Either we go um, Big Bang approach, we have an enterprise level team that is in charge of creating all these virtual services. Uh, that works really well if that team is really well defined. And then if we have a virtual service, for example, for something like MasterCard, where everyone is going to have to use the same service and we have well-defined behaviors in our virtual service that works really well. Yeah. But most of the time, what we want is tight control over how to, over the response that we get from those third-party services. So in that case, what we do is we create very small mocks of the APIs for our tests. Yeah. So when our test runs, the first thing it does before it actually executes the test steps, it creates a mock. And mm -hmm. if the application is well designed, you can plug that mock into the API layer so that the API layer, instead of hitting the real third-party service, hits our mock. And now we can control the test data that we get from, from the API because we can mock it and we control the test data in our test, and that really isolates my application's components. Yeah. And that's, that's, you can really do an input-output check. Where we, yeah. You know what the, what, we, what the expectations are. You, you don't rely on 
uh, a data set that, that's fluid. That, that brings me to the next question. When you run these tests, do you also automate like the data refreshes uh, of the test data in the system? How do you coordinate that? Because there's oh, a bit of environment so management there. That one is, that one is more difficult. Um, so as much as possible, I want to be able to provide the test data to the system before the test runs. So yeah. at the test startup sequence, like uh, the test, uh, the startup hook, I want to provide yeah. the test data to the system that I want to run. So that's, that's one approach. I just go and insert the data or at the, at that same hook uh, during the, the startup. What I'm going to do is I'm going to query the system and say, Hey, give me data that matches this criteria. And that's what I'm going to use for my test data. Uh, sometimes we have, for example, uh, clients that are new clients. So every time I run the test, I run a query that says, give me 10 new clients that have registered in the last week. Um, yeah. that way I always have fresh data. But there's going to be some systems that will require a full data refresh before each test. And that usually happens in financial institutions where they have yeah. tight control over every environment. And in that case, we need to follow their procedures. They probably have a very detailed process that is going to say, yeah. what do we need to do when we need to do a data refresh? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's very uh, interesting with the data refresh, uh, in test environments. Um, and I've used this in the past a few times to test disaster recovery, um, yeah. uh, especially it disaster recovery in this case, not so much BCPs. That's a different practice, but, um, what I found interesting is that in two, two cases, I found that they had automated the restore of the system to prior to test. Yeah. So rollback. But the cool thing about this was there are so many systems that were actually in that entire infrastructure that they had in the test environment. Um, they really were focusing on the data consistency between the sort of state of all the systems need to be in sync because you've got all these distributed systems nowadays. So yeah, recovery consistency objective is is what I've 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 heard it being being called. Yeah, um, and it's something that 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 it might be super important in your case as well. Well, see that I I see that as being there at the top of the pyramid, right? Because yeah. that exercise is really expensive. Uh, yeah, it takes a lot of effort, a lot of coordination. And what I would normally like to do is let's isolate each system. Let's mock the so if we have if we have three or four systems that are fully integrated, for testing purposes, let's isolate one and mock all the other interfaces to yeah. all the other systems. Yeah, get uh, rid of those dependencies and then, yes. then you've got way more control. Yeah. And that way I can move down the integration test layer and test that particular system in isolation, which is what we tend yeah. to do as well. When we're looking just at one application, we want to test the components in isolation. 
yeah before we test yeah. the whole application we do the same thing when we, we have a bigger bigger architecture yep. test each application yep. in isolation and then break it down yeah break it down and i can see those 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 test scripts that you're writing and the automated test scripts um, and and the framework that you use underneath it that you've co-developed as well yeah. i see that as very handy in doing root cause analysis as well yes um, if something goes wrong somewhere you can use this to find it because you can zoom into where it doesn't perform as expected where it yeah. doesn't give you the results as expected and and you actually get the history of what happened before and the input yeah. that you had up until you got to to the point where it failed and when you have technologies like playwright playwright so with playwright you not only have the code that uh, gives you all You're just for the audience step. what does playwright what does playwright do so playwright is a web ui automation tool that is um built on top of Node.js. So you build your code in JavaScript or TypeScript, and it allows you to automate web applications. So Playwright is going to start yeah. up a browser and then run the commands that you that, that you code into the browser. So you can find elements, you can read the, the text, their state, click them, uh, drag them around, and then the playwright execution environment is also going to record what the browser is doing. Not only what your code is telling the browser mm. to do, but the, what the browser is doing. And it's going to give you a, a video recording of it. And then you can actually play back and, and you can see the evolution of the test mm. and the evolution of the screens and the application. Um, so it's a really, really good root cause analysis tool for that type of technology. Really, really good. So, so that that um, that does take a lot of time to analyze that. So the, the current current trends in in software engineering for testers. Where do you see this 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 is standing right now? How how far is it away from its infancy? Because it's been around for quite a while now, and it's evolving. Where do you think yes. it's heading? So, well, its infancy was very much record and replay. Um, <laughs> and its infancy was actually Selenium. Um, yeah. Selenium itself has progressed a lot. It's, it's a very mature tool right now, which I, I, um, I really like. And Selenium, um, turn um, its interaction with the browser, it became a web standard. So the web driver yeah. standard is actually a web standard that all browsers implement now. Yeah. Um, on the other side, there's the, so any, any Selenium solution goes through the web driver standard to talk to the browser. But on the other side, there's an, uh, another way of talking to the browser is using the DevTools protocol. So the, yeah. the DevTools protocol init initially lived only in Chrome and Chromium browsers and was used by Puppeteer, by Playwright and Cypress to interact with the browser 
through the DevTools. And that gives the automation developer more control over what's happening because suddenly I can inspect the, the communication between the application and the backend server. I can mock that communication. I can inspect what's happening in the JavaScript console. I can capture exceptions and all that stuff. Um, and then a couple of years ago, the Google engineers that behind Puppeteer that created all that interaction using the DevTools, they donated DevTools to the web, to the web driver standard. Yeah. So right now the web driver standard is actively developing a way of doing all those things that used to be the domain only of Chrome and DevTools is being pushed into the actual standards so that every tool can do it. Um, we do it in Selenium right now. Uh, there's, although right now that that part of Selenium and WebDriver only works with uh, Chrome at the moment and Edge, mm -hmm. uh, it's been actively worked on in Firefox and in the WebDriver standard itself. So it will eventually be available also in um, browsers like Safari. And once we have the, yeah. we, ha we have a standard that all browsers implement, then um, it, it becomes a level playing field where those features that used to be the domain only of Puppeteer, Playwright, and Cypress now become available to every other web automation project out there. So, so I've heard you talk about uh, Playwright, Cypress, uh, Selenium. Uh, all these tools are super cool, but um, how do you get into this industry? If you would um, tell somebody that's interested in the test automation as that, uh, what are the key things? Because I don't think it's necessarily learning the tools, uh, but it's learning the techniques. It's, it's yeah, a way of thinking. Um, <laughs> so don't do it the way I did because I got into this <laughs> industry by accident. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I think it needs to be knowing the tools, having the, the coding yeah. skills, and then also having the learning the techniques around just the testing side of things. Because it's not right. enough to create a script that automates a web page you need to know certain techniques around testing to be able to create something meaningful that is going to provide value yeah. to the developers of the application you're testing. Yeah, the testers support the developers. Yes. Yeah. But also, to me, one important thing is um, knowing how to build the application. Yeah. So if, if I was going to start in this industry today, I would sit down and learn how to build a React application or Vue or mm -hmm. whatever. I, I would take one of those uh, frameworks and build an application myself. Yeah, because I need to I I need to understand how things work from a developer point of view. And you then need to know how as, developer thinks, how yes. they solve problems. Yeah, exactly. 
And then as I'm building that application for my own project, then start incorporating all these testing tools and uh, techniques. So th there's things for React applications like uh, React testing library. The React, mm -hmm. React testing library is going to allow a developer to test each component in isolation before you integrate the whole application. So it's that concept again, right? Of yeah, isolate things, test each little piece before you fully integrate. Yeah. So someone that wants to get into into the industry, I, I think they need those three things. Learn how to build the application, learn how to test it, and then look at uh, testing techniques. Um, there's going to be yeah. things like the ISTQB and things like that that publish some of those techniques. Okay. So, so what kind of um, uh, things are you currently working on within Planets? Uh, what are we building? And what can we expect in the near future to be released? So a little, a little, Planet. A little preview. Yeah. yeah. Within Planet, um, uh, I divided my time in three things. The first one is the web automation templates where we have examples of code and software engineering techniques for different programming languages and different tools. The second one is closely related to that, which is doing the same thing, but from a mobile testing point of view. And to be able to do that, we actually need to develop a mobile application on Android and iOS. So we can then develop all the templates are that we're going to publish that can test that um, application that we developed and we can have those as examples that um, planet engineers can use when they go to a new client. Uh, and the third thing is an internal development where we are taking the results of client interactions. It can be um, an automation test project, a performance test project, a, a quality engineering project. Um, and we want to start collating all the data. It can be test okay. results. Uh, it can be uh, the sentiment that comes out of an application that was released that we tested on. And we can gather that sentiment, yeah. for example, on mobile devices by looking at the app stores. So we go to the iOS and yeah. iOS app store or the Android store, and we can download reviews and analyze sentiment. And yeah. we collate all the data into a centralized place where we can do, in initial phase, we can do analytics. But once yeah. we have a large data set, we can start training models to create predictive models around um ah, it's is it's, it's hard to talk about it without yeah speculating that really into so, much but that's the whole idea yeah so there's a there's a whole journey ahead of us uh i i hear models and i'm thinking large language models and ai and stuff as well so yeah. we might be heading down that path um, well, probably not language models. Probably yeah. not language models, but 
some sort of uh, machine learning model that allows us to yeah predict based on new inputs and taking the history yeah. of all the data that we have collected, predict certain outcomes. So yeah, yeah. we'll probably start small yeah. with the models because a large language model is something that requires an insane amount of, of data. Course. Yeah. But yeah, but, but but thinking of that, um, uh, where do you see AI coming eventually here? Well, in terms of a developer, I see AI being another tool that helps us write code. Um, yeah. With all the craziness over uh, ChatGPT, and where people yeah can go to ChatGPT and ask ChatGPT to write code for them. Um, I'd see it like... Which often doesn't work, but yeah. Exactly. Okay. So <laughs> the way I see it, we have to be careful of how we use AI and uh, um, text models and yeah, because uh, yeah. we cannot implicitly trust what the AI outputs. Uh, so yeah. AI is going to be really useful to to answer really specific questions, small questions, and even with the answer, we have to look at it and be very careful about what it is and just use it as a guideline to help yeah. us solve the next problem. So in essence, I see it as, as an evolution of a search engine where instead yeah. of having to actually search on Google and then having a list of stack overflow solutions where yeah. what you want to do is not really there, but there's little bits and pieces that might work. Yeah. I see it as the same thing. It's just yeah. short, uh, it's a shortcut to be able to access yeah. some bits of code that might help you. So those are interesting developments. Um, um, is there anything that you'd like to raise before we close this out? Because we're hitting almost a 45 minute mark. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I feel like um, I've been talking a lot, but um, yeah, um, my main focus is still on on the coding side of software engineering. That's, that's the thing that I've really enjoyed and I've been lucky enough, I've planned to, to be able to learn and leverage and then surround myself with, with people that I can learn a lot from. Um, yeah, I have been really looking in that sense and <clears throat> been been able to grow professionally and personally with that and then be able to mentor others as well. Um, which yeah, that's part of our uh, cultural DNA, yeah, which is <clears throat> absolutely fantastic. Uh, working with the likes of you, Juan, it's always been a pleasure. And I think let's close it out. Um, yeah, thank you. Very thanks much. everybody for tuning in. Uh, this was a Cyber Podcast, having a chat with Juan Flores, the director of software engineering for Planet Einstein. And thanks for tuning in. And see thanks. you on the next one. See ya. Yeah.